Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on The Agenda, going to be having a chat about Ludwig van Beethoven, who was an immensely important and, of course, famous composer. And there's no doubt that you've heard of this bloke, and you've almost certainly heard some of the music that he wrote as well. He was he was an absolute mu- musical genius. Uh, he was gifted with an ability to write music that, that you know was, was deeply expressive and, and full of emotion. And also, especially in the later part of his career, didn't follow the established rules, if you like, of uh, of Western music. Um, and the music that he wrote was one of the fundamental driving forces. As a result that took Western music from the, the classical era of, of Mozart and Haydn to the Romantic era, uh, which would last, of course, for the rest of the 19th century. Beethoven had a huge influence on the history of Western music and and also led a pretty interesting life, as we'll discover. After being recognised as a, as a child prodigy, he studied as, as a musician while young and then learnt composition when he was a little bit older. And then as a young man, he moved to Vienna, uh, from Bonn and remained there for the rest of his life. And in Vienna, he became a, a celebrated and very successful musician. People flocked to his performances and he reaped the rewards, becoming quite well off uh, thanks to his you know, extraordinarily popular works and concerts. However, there is a, uh, a saddest uh, sort of undertone to Beethoven's story because, as you may know, he was plagued with ill health for much of his life. And, and in his 20s, he suffered a, a cruel twist of fate when he began to lose his hearing, of all things. But somehow, some way, he continued to write music despite losing his hearing. And, and some of his most powerful and sublime works were, were written when he was almost completely deaf. So... Beethoven's is a story of, of both triumph uh, and tragedy, then, really. And uh, as ever, there is a lot to get across today, so let's not waste any time. Let's get straight to it. Here we go. So we're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to the year 1770. This is the year in which uh, Beethoven was born. Sometime before the 17th of December, Ludwig von Beethoven was born in Bonn, uh, which is a city in what was then the Holy Roman Empire, now part of modern-day Germany, of course. And we don't know his exact birth date. Uh, he was baptised on the 17th. Uh, and back then, you know, the, the custom was in that part of the world to baptise babies within a day of their birth. So, you know, it's likely he was born on the 16th, but we don't know for sure. Anyway, he's the son of Johann and Maria Magdalena van Beethoven. Uh, now, both Beethoven's father and grandfather, who was also named Ludwig, uh, they were musicians. And Ludwig followed in their footsteps. He began music lessons at the age of just five. Um, and the poor kid, I have to say, was he was really put through the ringer. His dad and a bunch of other blokes all taught him everything from violin to piano, and 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 they didn't muck around. Particularly his dad, young Beethoven, had a an unbelievably taxing schedule of music lessons that often went late into the night. And I'm sorry to say that Johann uh, was a bit of an abusive father. He was violent towards the young boy and and beat him and locked him in the cellar when when young Beethoven displeased him. So. This poor kid, I mean, he worked that hard at, uh, at you know, his, his musical studies that he'd often end up in tears. Um, but his prodigal skill was was very obvious. And uh, at the behest of his dad, he began to give public performances in 1778 when he was just seven years old. 
Now, this, of course, might remind you of someone. Alert listeners will remember if we go back to episodes 177, 178, when we talked about our mate Mozart. Go and get across them there. Um, and you're not the only one to make the connection between, you know, Mozart and his performances as a youngster and, and Beethoven's immense skill as a kid as well. Because another person who made this connection, you know, it, it, at the time of Beethoven's childhood, it's less than a decade ago that Leopold Mozart had been traveling around with young Wolfgang and, and Nanerl showing off their musical talents. And Beethoven's dad, Johann, also was keen to have you know, young Ludwig follow in the footsteps of, uh, of Wolfgang Mozart and, and show off, you know, his prodigal skill uh, at a young age, just as Leopold had, you know, made Mozart show off his skill. So, well, I, I have to say, not not quite in exactly the same way because Johann didn't, like, uproot his family from Bonn and travelled with them, you know, all around Europe for years and years and years. But he made Beethoven uh, put on performances as a young boy and uh, while also making him continue uh, his, his musical studies. And in 1780 or maybe 1781, Beethoven began to be tutored by a noted opera composer named Christian Gottlob Niefer. And it was Niefer who helped uh, Beethoven with his first compositions while also continuing to teach him uh, piano. And uh, while working under the tutelage of Niefer uh, and also while working, he got a job as a young kid. He got a job as, uh, as the assistant organist at, at the Bonn Court Chapel. In 1783, Beethoven produced his first published work at the age of just 12, known as the Dressler Variations. He's off to a fly. You've got to give him credit. He's 12 years old and he's already writing variations like this. He's, he's, he's obviously got something going on here. But his musical career didn't really take off when he was young, you know, in, in the same way. There's always, of course, comparisons drawn between people like Mozart and Beethoven. And while Mozart was a young kid, he was writing piece after piece after piece of music. He barely stopped ever composing music, Mozart. Whereas Beethoven took a lot longer to uh, to compose and to publish music and uh, you know outside of a few early compositions like the Dressler Variations we don't have a huge record of Beethoven's compositional progress um, this might be because you know he didn't compose all that much or that he thought that his compositions weren't very good and therefore didn't seek to have them published and spread far and wide but whatever the reason Beethoven I mean Quite aside from his developing musical career and, and you know career as a composer, he had quite enough to to deal with it without worrying about becoming the towering musical figure that he is today. I've already touched upon how his dad Johann wasn't really an ideal bloke. Not only was he violent and abusive, he was also an alcoholic. And as the years went on, he deteriorated further and just about drowned himself in booze to the point that the Beethoven family, Ludwig's mum and you know his siblings were more or less reliant on young Ludwig, who, you know, earned money himself as an organist and as a music teacher, uh, which he hated doing, by the way, uh, and, and earned this money to support his family because his, you know, dad was no good. So Beethoven worked very hard to both improve as a musician and also provide for his family. And he was fortunate enough, even at a young age, to have good friends who helped him out in many ways, including financially. 
And this allowed Beethoven to make the trip that I mentioned back in episode 178. You'll remember a trip to Vienna, which was at the time perhaps the most important musical city in Europe. And there, uh, on this trip that he made as a teenager, he may have met one of his musical idols, Mozart, although they probably didn't. I mean, we don't know for sure, but as I mentioned when talking about Mozart, the scholarly consensus seems to be that they they probably never directly crossed paths, unfortunately. Still, Beethoven's trip to Vienna at the age of just 16 or 17 was a very important one, as he, he met people, he made contacts, and of course he expanded his musical experiences living in Vienna, this, this city that was overflowing with musical culture. However, I'm sorry to say that uh, after this Vienna trip, it only got worse from there because in 1787, after he got back, Maria Magdalena, his mum, died. And this sent his dad into a further spiral of alcohol-fueled ruin to the point that he lost his job at the Bonn court. Um, although the silver lining of that was that half of Johann's pension was actually paid directly to Ludwig to support the rest of the Beethoven family because, you know, otherwise they knew that... Uh, Johanna just drink it away. So alongside the, this pension and the money that he earned teaching and performing, uh, Ludwig was able to support uh, his family. But it wasn't until around 1790 that Beethoven really began to get stuck into composition properly. And between 1790 and 1792, he composed sonatas, cantatas, variations, and all sorts of other works. Now, none of these were sort of very widely published, and he didn't seem to attribute a lot of importance to them. Uh, he didn't seem to consider them worthy of, you know, large-scale publication or anything else like that. And, you know, you can go back and listen to his early works today. They weren't readily available to the public back then. But in late 1790, he also uh, he met another very famous composer, Joseph Haydn. Uh, and we talked about, obviously, Haydn and his role in Mozart's career back in, in episode 178. And it's very likely that, uh, that, you know, Haydn had a thing or two to teach young Beethoven as well, recognising the talent that he had and helping him develop as a musician as well. But Beethoven didn't stick around in Bonn forever, even after, you know, a, a couple of meetings with Haydn, whatever else. In 1792, with word that the Napoleonic War of the First Coalition was spreading from France into the German-speaking world, Beethoven decided to leave Bonn and travel to Vienna. And after he did this, he never returned to Bonn for the rest of his life. For as long as he lived, he never returned to his hometown. But I mean, this makes sense. Vienna was the place to be for musicians. Again, it's probably fair to say that Vienna was the most important musical city in Europe at the time. And so it it made a lot of sense for Beethoven to not only be drawn there, but also remain there. Uh, he left in November uh, 1791 at the age of 20. And uh, shortly after he arrived in Vienna, he found out that Johann, his dad, had died. Now, I don't know how upset he was about this, uh, you know, as... Johann does seem to have been a, a pretty nasty piece of work. by and, and, and by most accounts, Beethoven really just despised his old man. But uh, in any case, uh, you know, however he did or didn't feel about his dad dying, it certainly didn't get in the way. Uh, it certainly didn't affect the progress of his career as a composer. Now, by the time Beethoven had made this second trip to Vienna, sadly, Mozart was already dead. But it didn't take long for people to sit up and take notice of the incredible musical skill of this young fellow from Bonn. And people began to talk about Beethoven as a successor of Mozart himself. Now, Beethoven, as you can imagine, he welcomed this comparison. He was a big fan of Mozart's already, and he threw himself into further study of Mozart's work. And of course, learnt more from Haydn. He was under the tutelage of Haydn, uh, who would return to Vienna by this stage and, and uh, began to teach 
young Beethoven more and more about music and composition and what have and what have you. Although he didn't rush into more uh, more composing. Instead, Beethoven focused on performance. He focused on study, and by 1794, when Haydn had uh, had left uh, once again for Britain, Beethoven had still not published all that much music. Um, people after Haydn left, people expected Beethoven to also leave and return to Bonn, but uh, you know there was a couple of reasons that he didn't want to do this. I've already talked about the fact that uh, Vienna was you know a musical capital in Europe, but there was another very good reason. Bond fell to the French that same year in 1794 during the uh, during the you know Napoleonic Wars that are raging on at the time and so he did not feel heavily motivated to return to his hometown whatsoever. Instead, he found patrons in Vienna itself thanks to the connections that he'd made over the years and finally, in 1795, he released his first published work that included what's known as an opus number, which made it the beginning of his official published catalogue. He wrote three piano trios, and here's a listen to one of them now. Now, why did it take him so long, you might wonder? Why did it take him so long for him to actually kickstart his official music catalogue using these opus numbers? What was behind him, you know, kind of dragging his feet on really properly getting into the compositional game? Well, there are a couple of reasons, and you'll actually, once I tell them to you, you'll realise they make they make a lot of sense. Firstly, Beethoven took a long time to consider his work ready to be properly published. And so he kept a lot of initial compositions to himself or shared them only with a very few people. Secondly, it was also a very deliberate marketing strategy, one he also applied to public performances. Most of Beethoven's works and performances, as I say, they weren't shared amongst the public. They were private. They were held in the homes and the salons of the of the Viennese uh, nobility, the rich and the, and the powerful. And in this way, playing in, you know, giving private performances and, and, and writing pieces of music that weren't widely uh, dispersed, he began to earn this reputation, rightfully so, as a gifted and, and virtuosic composer and performer, but without being readily available or accessible. In other words, Beethoven generated hype for his work. There's no other way to put it. He deliberately didn't perform or release his work publicly in order to get people hyped to finally experience his music. And so, in 1795, when he released his first pieces and you know gave his first public performances, people went off. From his first three piano trios alone, Beethoven earned enough money to cover his living expenses in Vienna for an entire year. Now, you'll remember, Mozart struggled to make a living off of his works and, you know, his public performances were the talk of the town. But Beethoven, on top of this, right, on top of being able to pay his way for a year based on, you know, a handful of piano trios, that's how popular he was. On top of this, Beethoven also participated in and won many high-profile piano duels against other famed performers of the day. This bloke really was just a late 18th century rap star, you know, dropping absolute fire, packing concert halls and dueling these idiots who, that, were, that were dumb enough to, you know, to step to him as a musician. In the back half of the 1790s, Beethoven selectively published more and more pieces, again going for quality rather than quantity, and he continued to develop and mature as a composer, slowly but surely 
finding his own compositional language rather than just, you know, blindly following in the foots of, of, of Mozart and Haydn. And by the time we get to the turn of the century in 1800, Beethoven is hot bloody property, let me tell you. People are absolutely fanging for this bloke. He published his first symphony in, in, in the same year, in 1800, which helped to entrench his reputation as one of the most important and talented composers in the wake of Mozart and Haydn. And uh, the next year, in, in 1800, this was followed by a ballet, The Creatures of Prometheus, which was so popular, right, that he wrote a piano arrangement of it for, you know, to, to cash in, basically like a modern artist recording an unplugged version of a popular album. But it was in 1801 that he composed one of his most famous pieces, one you've almost certainly heard, Piano Sonata Number 14, better known as the Moonlight Sonata. Now, this work was as popular back then as it is today, and it was one of many pieces of music that, again, cemented young Beethoven's reputation as an absolute master of his craft. In 1803, his second symphony debuted at a concert where ticket prices were, if you'll believe this, three times higher than the usual. That's how desperate people were to see Beethoven perform. He was making stacks on stacks, but it got even better. He took on his, his brother Caspar as a manager. Caspar moved to Vienna and started to look after uh, a lot of the, you know, the admin and the financial uh, aspects of Beethoven's life. And Caspar managed to not only increase the prices of new compositions, commissions, whatever else, but also flog old compositions that Beethoven had never properly published. And like any good manager, Caspar was not very tactful not very subtle and not very well liked by most of Beethoven's clients as a result, but he made his brother a lot of money. And what, what's, what I really like about Beethoven's story is, you know, there are so many tales of gifted artists who never benefited from their work within their own lifetimes. People like Vincent van Gogh, you know, Emily Dickinson, Johann Vermeer, the list goes on. But Beethoven is not one of those artists. He was, in his lifetime, widely respected celebrated. He had innumerable fans and admirers, and he made plenty of money off his work. However, as I mentioned earlier, Beethoven's life would be stricken with further tragedy as he began to lose, of all things, his hearing. Poor Beethoven began to suffer a decline in his hearing from around 1798, by his own account, due to what we today think was otosclerosis, which is a, it's a disorder involving abnormal bone growth in the middle ear. Now, honestly, I mean, the poor bloke, right? Of all the medical issues for a famous composer and musician to suffer, hearing loss feels like one of the cruelest fates you can think of. And uh, it was after 1800 that it really began to affect him too. His hearing loss was gradual and uh, it started to get in the way of not only his, his compositions and his music, but also, you know, just his day-to-day -day life, his social interaction with other people. And the onset of his more serious hearing problems, you know, just after 1800, it, it really knocked him about psychologically. It actually knocked him about so much that his doctor suggested that he take, take some time off 
move out to the countryside and, and just try to come to terms with what was happening to him. And so in 1802, Beethoven moved from Vienna to a small town called Heiligenstadt, where he stayed for six months and attempted to reconcile himself with his hearing loss. And he really doesn't seem to have been in a good place at this point. He even wrote a letter to his brothers confessing his anguish and, and telling them of the, 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 the thoughts he had of committing suicide, although he, he never sent this letter. But to his credit, he did manage to pull himself back together to the point that he felt able to return to Vienna and to, and, and to com- continue composing even, even better. So as time went on, his hearing would only get worse, and ultimately it did turn him into a bit of a recluse. And while he never stopped composing, as you'll hear, he wasn't able to perform as he had previously, which was obviously a bit of an unfortunate blow to his finances. But he did return to Vienna in late 1802, and he did get back into composition. And there was a pretty significant shift in the tone and the style of the music that he began to write at this point. After coming back from Hardigenstadt, after coming to terms with what was happening to him, there was a marked change in his musical output. He entered into his, what musical historians call his heroic period, so named because of all the grand and extravagant works that he produced during these years. Before that, his music had fallen into a similar category. It had it sort of been cut from the same cloth as classical composers like Mozart, like Haydn, like others. But it was after this break in 1802 that Beethoven really began to find his own feet. He was a critical part of the transition from the classical to the romantic periods of classical music. And from 1802, as he moved into this heroic period, romanticism began to really fully emerge in his work, and thanks to this, in the work of other composers who were inspired or influenced by him. Beethoven's third symphony was inspired by the uh, heroic career of Napoleon, but uh, and, and the symphony was initially dedicated uh, to the French general, but then when Napoleon declared himself emperor in 1804, Beethoven became quite disillusioned with him. Uh, and, and actually, you can go online and see the, the, the title page of the symphony's manuscript uh, written in Beethoven, by Beethoven himself, where Napoleon's name has been scratched out as he, re- he revoked this dedication and instead... Uh, dedicated more generally to to a great man. Um, initially, Beethoven had been inspired by Napoleon as a, as a revolutionary leader, but then when Napoleon crowned himself emperor, Beethoven just saw him as another power-hungry dictator and so removed this dedication. But both this, this Third Symphony, and much of the work that followed it sought to be grandiose, sweeping, inspirational, inspirational in nature and filled with emotion. And it marked, as I say, a significant shift in Beethoven's compositional style. As the years continued, Beethoven managed to maintain a very steady income from various sources, the sale of his published works, of course, uh, his public performances, which continued at this point, uh, although became less and less frequent as time passed, and lastly, from wealthy patrons. Commissions and stipends from cashed-up nobles saw Beethoven write many works specifically for them, you know, offering them private performances as well. And Beethoven was that well connected with the nobility in Vienna that Arch, uh, Archduke Rudolf of Austria, the younger son of the Holy Roman Empire, Leopold II himself, not only became a, a patron of Beethoven's, but also a student and a friend in 1803 and 1804. So he really was rubbing shoulders with the, uh, with the rich and powerful. 
But I have to say, it wasn't wall-to-wall successes for Beethoven, because in 1805, uh, his opera Fidelio premiered, and that one, ugh, that one did not go well. There were there were a few issues with it. The Austrian censors came around, tore it to shreds, and he had to rewrite a whole bunch of it, uh, which further delayed it. And by the time it was premiered in late 1805, um, there was another issue, which I guess probably wasn't Beethoven's fault, and that was that Vienna was under the occupation of the French. Uh, as a result, you know, not a whole lot of people were interested in going to the opera, and so the crowds that came out to see Fidelio were much reduced due to the city being, you know, under military occupation. And on top of that, unfortunately, maybe this one is Beethoven's fault, critics panned it. They said the opera was uh, was no good, and Beethoven, you know, he took that pretty hard and withdrew Fidelio from public performance and uh, decided to actually go back and rewrite parts of it. But even with Fidelio flopping, however, Beethoven's career continued strongly and his works were published and sold widely across Europe. And he continued to write more and more music. And in 1808, he produced one of his most famous and instantly recognisable pieces. Beethoven's Symphony in C minor, his fifth symphony, is today one of the best known pieces of classical music in existence, and it is, of course, a mainstay of orchestral repertoires worldwide. But check this out. At the performance when it premiered in December 1808, things didn't go very well at all. The concert, which was a showcase of of all sorts of Beethoven premieres, it was a bit of a disaster. First of all, it was freezing cold, and it lasted for Four hours, so the audience already wasn't having a great time. But then on top of that, the orchestra had only rehearsed once, one single time. They had a single rehearsal for this performance. And so they kept making mistakes and all these, you know, they kept making errors while playing all of these new pieces. Beethoven was so incensed by this, he's up there conducting the orchestra, he lost his rag, he started yelling at them, yelling at some of the musicians when they'd make these mistakes, and and even forced them to stop halfway through a choral number and start it all over again because of the mistakes that they were making. Not the premiere you'd expect from a piece of music that has gone on to become one of the most famous pieces in history. However... Despite the poor performance uh, given at the premiere, it wasn't long before Beethoven's Fifth Symphony gained the recognition it deserved as an absolute masterpiece, and it's been considered one ever since to this very day. Overall, 1808 was a good year. Napoleon's brother Jerome attempted to poach Beethoven from Vienna and uh, have him move to Kassel, which meant that Beethoven's patrons offered him a significant pay rise uh, for him to stay although one of them died and never paid and another went bankrupt and so Beethoven had to go to court to get the money he was owed. But still, he wasn't doing too badly, financially speaking. But more setbacks befell Beethoven in 1809. But again, these could hardly be said to be his fault because war came to Vienna. The Napoleonic War of the Fifth Coalition had arrived in Austria and in May 1809, the French were bombarding Vienna itself. Beethoven took refuge in his brother Kaspar's cellar and he avoided, he avoided injury. But, I mean, you can imagine how war and the bombardment of the city affected concert goers. They became, in all honesty, concert, concert not goers. And uh, this, I mean, there was a, there was a, 
sharp decline in Beethoven's musical output as a result of not just the, the, the war, but also another factor, his health. He was quite unwell throughout mid-1809, and uh, these things contributed to, to result in a marked decrease in the amount of music that Beethoven was writing. But things improved. Things improved as time went on. In 1810, Beethoven continued to write more music, including one piece that ended up becoming one of his most well-known works. You may have heard of it. Für Elisa. Beethoven never married, but we do know that he, he mucked around with a few women throughout his life here and there, although he didn't have you know too much luck in finding a wife. Uh, all too often, the women that he fell for were, were well above his social standing, and he rather prag- pragmatically realised that he just didn't have any real chance with them and so was happy to just kind of walk away in most cases. Uh, in 1810, however, he fell in love with his doctor's niece, who was a young woman named Teresa Malfatti. And she was just 19 years old. Beethoven was pushing 40 at this stage. Now, Beethoven wanted to propose to her and and, and may have even done so. We're not actually 100% sure, but like so many other women, she wasn't interested and Beethoven, he knew when to fold him and so he walked away. However, many years later, amongst Malfatti's personal papers was found the sheet music for a piece called Für Elisa. Now, this piece was never published during Beethoven's lifetime. It wasn't published until 1867, four decades after he died. But today, funnily enough, it is one of his most famous and well-known works, despite the fact that it was never played publicly during the time that he was alive. And it's thought that it was written for Teresa Malfatti, given that she was, you know, not only the object of, uh, of Beethoven's affection for a time there, but also the pos- in possession of the manuscript for this piece. Although, in fairness, it is far from certain that she is the Elisa in question, particularly given her name was Teresa. And there are other women, some who are actually called Elisa, that it may have been for, and honestly, we'll probably never know. But it is interesting, in any case, that one of Beethoven's most iconic works was never played publicly during his lifetime, and just sat in a drawer somewhere for decades after his death before finally being rediscovered and then rocketing towards the top of uh, his most famous and successful pieces these days. Anyway, as we move on into 1811 and beyond, Beethoven's health once again declined, I'm sorry to say. His hearing had only gotten worse over the years, and while he was still able to hear speech well enough to hold a conversation... In 1811 and 1812, it degenerated significantly to the point that even his ability to just talk and listen to people was was quite severely affected. In 1811, he spent some time at a health spa and stayed there into 1812, but it didn't really seem to do him all that good because in 1813, he clearly wasn't in a good place. He'd always been a pretty neat and tidy bloke, but around this time, he stopped taking care of himself as he had been. Uh, He would go out in public looking unkempt and, and, and poorly dressed. And additionally, his manners and his mood became worse. And when he was out and about in public with friends, particularly eating, he put a lot of people off with his poor behaviour. Now, in fairness to the bloke, he was dealing with some pretty adverse circumstances, not just his, his poor health, but he was involved in a feud with one of his brothers 
over the woman that he wanted to to marry, his brother wanted to marry. Uh, Beethoven thought she was no good. And then his other bro- brother, Kaspar, got uh, tuberculosis in, in 1812, which obviously stressed Beethoven out enorm- enormously. Um, and his composition suffered as a result. But in 1813, he did get he got back he did get back to work. He published two wildly popular pieces. One one of them was an orchestral piece commemorating the Battle of Waterloo, and the other was his Seventh Symphony. They were premiered at a benefit concert for victims of the recent wars. Um, but they didn't just raise a lot of money for those victims. They also made Beethoven a huge amount of cash, and enabled him to maintain his his relatively comfortable lifestyle throughout. And, and this resurgence in resurgence in his popularity in 1813 led him to uh, actually revive his old opera, the one that had flopped all those years before. It didn't go so well the first time around, but this time it was very well received. Interestingly, he also wrote music at this time to entertain the various nobles and luminaries and dignitaries and other illustrious visitors that came to Austria for the Congress of Vienna, which was a hugely important political conference that shaped the the landscape of post-Napoleonic Europe. And it's something that I've wanted to do an episode on for so long, but it is just so complicated. It'll be such bloody hard work that I I haven't done it. But at some point, an episode on the Congress of Vienna will be forthcoming. And Beethoven, funnily enough, was a part of that in the sense that he wrote music to entertain many of these uh, these high-profile guests. But sadly, at this point, Beethoven's hearing was now so bad that he really just couldn't get along in public. In 1814, he began to use ear trumpets to to try to improve things while speaking to people. But the worst of it was that he just wasn't able to perform anymore. His last public performance was given in 1814. And it said that the, the piano that he played at this performance was actually out of tune. But Beethoven didn't notice because his hearing had become that bad. As had, it seems, his mindset as well. Between 1815 and 1819, he hardly wrote any notable music at all. Um, there were other reasons apart from his bad health. He was embroiled in legal issues, uh, particularly over the custody of his nephew, Carl. Caspar had died of tuberculosis in 1815, and Beethoven fought with Caspar's wife for custody of his young nephew. Uh, to mixed results, the poor boy was ferried back and forth between his mum and his uncle for years and never really seemed to like Beethoven all that much. But on top of these legal and family issues, you know, Beethoven's health, it, it really wasn't good. And, and from 1816 into 1817, he really wasn't well and probably didn't make it any better, sadly, with his alcohol consumption. It seems that as time went on, he began to drink more and more to try to cope with his problems. And, uh, you know, that kind of affected his, uh, his, his health in, in any positive way. But ultimately, it wasn't until 1818 that he began to consider returning to composition once again. However, by this stage, his hearing was so bad that he couldn't actually have spoken conversations anymore. He just couldn't hear people talking. And while he never became completely deaf, uh, he couldn't hear, well, not only talking, but also much of the music that he wrote. And as sad as this is, and it is obviously a, a terrible thing to happen to anyone, it actually does lead, it did lead to something of a windfall for us, those interested in his history today. Because as Beethoven could no longer have spoken or verbal conversations, he instead began to have written conversations with people. He used little notebooks to write back and forth with those who were you know, intimately involved in his life. And... As a result of this, I mean, much of this writing survives to this day. So along with this and, his, and the diary that he kept, we have an unparalleled understanding of Beethoven's day-to-day affairs 
from 1818 onwards. But around this time, Beethoven, he was more reclusive than ever. I mean, understandably so. During these years, um, he he largely lived a very private life, uh, although from 1819, his compositional output picked up once again. Despite being a difficult bloke to impress or to win over, a famous, a famous musical publisher whose name was Moritz Schlesinger, he managed to bring Beethoven around to the idea of, of, of writing, composing, and publishing more music by apparently, this is how Schlesinger won him over, he gave Beethoven a plate of roast veal, which Beethoven liked so much that he didn't just, you know, dismiss Schlesinger and instead considered his proposal seriously and ultimately accepted it. And this saw him write uh, a good number of new pieces, which were published across the European continent and all the way into Britain as well, and encouraged Beethoven to once again increase his overall output of musical works. And as we move into the 1820s, while Beethoven continued to battle with poor health, he seemed to improve on many fronts. He reconciled with his estranged brother, and he reconciled further with the wife of the, the late Caspar. He accepted lucrative commissions, made good money from his work, and occupied himself with pieces that were, that were grand and, and ambitious in scale. He worked on a mass called Missa Solemnis for four years, between 1819 and 1823, and premiered it in 1824 with uh, another piece, which is perhaps the greatest work of Beethoven's entire career. And I'm talking about, of course, his Ninth Symphony, the fourth movement of which will be instantly recognisable to you. This piece of music is widely considered amongst the greatest ever written, not just by Beethoven, but ever, altogether, full stop. It is one of the most popular and commonly performed symphonies, even today. It's been adapted as the, as the anthem of the European Union, and in 2001, Beethoven's handwritten manuscript of his Ninth Symphony was added to the UN's Memory of the World program heritage list. And Beethoven wrote it, while almost completely deaf, which is just, it is bloody astonishing. It's incredible that he managed to do this. Uh, what, what, what an extraordinary thing to have, to have done. Its premiere, which was held on the 7th of May, 1784, involved the largest orchestra that Beethoven had ever assembled. And it was uh, the first major symphonic work to feature a, uh, a choral component as well. I, I said that Beethoven blazed his own trail when it came to the music that he wrote. And this was a groundbreaking piece of work. And also this premiere, on top of all of this, it was also Beethoven's first public performance in over a decade. And so people packed themselves into the Theater am Kärtnertor to see him in person. But sadly... Beethoven's near total lack of hearing meant that he couldn't properly conduct the performance. But as he wanted to be up on the stage all the same conducting an orchestra that he couldn't hear, there were two conductors. There was Beethoven up there and uh, alongside him was another bloke, Michael Umlauf. Uh, now Beethoven, 
he did his best, but his conducting was wildly off, and the musicians had all been instructed to ignore him and instead follow the conduction of uh, the conducting of Umlauf. And Beethoven, I mean, you've got to feel sorry for him because his hearing was so bad that while conducting the orchestra, he didn't even realize when the musicians had finished playing. And he continued conducting while the audience behind him was applauding wildly in, in, in rapt adoration of the music they'd just heard. He couldn't hear the applause. And, and ultimately, one of the singers, Carolina Unger, had to physically turn him around so that he could see the crowd. And, and when the crowd realized that Beethoven couldn't hear their clapping, they instead, they, they rose to their feet. They waved their hats, their, their handkerchiefs, or even just their hands, just so he could see their appreciation for the music they just heard. I mean, the poor bloke giving his life to music and, and putting everything he had into these incredible compositions and, and, and the performances that the people put on of them. And he couldn't even hear the people clapping, let alone the music that he'd written. But just as this was Beethoven's first public onstage appearance in over a decade, it was also the last that he would ever give. Despite the rapturous reception his symphony received, the concert, well, it wasn't a financial success, and combined with Beethoven's continued ill health, he never returned to the stage. He did continue writing music, however, despite his worsening health issues, writing what would be his very last works in 1825. These became known as the Late Quartets, a series of very famous string quartets, uh, one of which, his string quartet number 14, he personally considered his crowning achievement. He thought it was the best work he'd ever written. However, his declining health and continued drinking took its toll on Beethoven, and in late 1826 he fell very ill indeed. He was bedridden into 1827, ravaged with fevers and jaundice and dropsy, and as news of his serious illness spread, gifts and tributes began pouring in, and old friends also travelled to Vienna to see him, perhaps knowing that he was on his way out, and he remained completely bedridden throughout this time, although he did receive his guests, and he did get to say goodbye to many of them one last time. Because then, on the 26th of March, 1827, Ludwig van Beethoven died, finally succumbing to his illnesses, as well as cirrhosis of the liver due to his alcohol consumption, at the age of just 56. His funeral procession through Vienna was attended by 10,000 people, and he was buried in the Vering Cemetery to the northwest of Vienna, although in 1863 his remains were exhumed, they were examined, and ultimately reinterred in 1888 in Vienna's Zentralfriedhof, where they can be found to this very day. Beethoven left behind a monumental legacy. He was pivotal in transitioning Western music from the classical era into the Romantic era, where music was grander, it was freer, it was more expressive. His music is undoubtedly amongst the greatest ever written, and it has stood the test of time to remain both, both popular and well-known, 
as well as being culturally relevant to this very day. It's heard in modern media, in film, in TV. And all of you listening, even if you're not a classical music fan, you still probably know Beethoven when you hear it. As with Mozart, everyone knows Beethoven's music, even if, well, maybe you don't know its name. Maybe you don't even know the fact that Beethoven wrote it. But you still recognise it. You've still heard it. Beethoven helped to shape the course of musical development in the Western world and is rightly remembered as one of the greatest composers to have ever lived. And all this while suffering from a loss of hearing that came on in his 20s and left him almost totally deaf by the time he was in his 40s. Beethoven changed the way that people considered and wrote and listened to music. He broke musical boundaries. He blazed his own trail to show people what was possible with composition and performance. And today's music, you know, might not sound much like Beethoven. And while there are plenty of other foundational influences that have shaped our experience of music today, Beethoven remains more or less the face of Western music. And if you think that maybe I'm laying it on a bit thick or if I sound a bit overblown right now, consider this. The only reason that CDs are the size that they are and able to fit 74 minutes of music onto them. I mean, the original plan, right, was to have them be smaller. CDs were going to be smaller. They were only going to have a capacity of 60 minutes. But a decision was made to enlarge them and increase their capacity to 74 minutes. And the reason for that, funnily enough, is Beethoven, because it takes 74 minutes to perform his Ninth Symphony, and it was considered essential that the entire work fit on to a single CD. So really, it is impossible to overstate the impact that Beethoven had on the traditions of Western music. His was an incredible life that left behind an incredible legacy. Music as we know it today would not be what it is without the life of this incredible musician, Ludwig van Beethoven. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Ludwig van Beethoven. And uh, it was a a lot of fun, I have to say, to get across another musical history episode here. I know people enjoyed the Mozart episode, so hopefully this Beethoven episode and and all of the music in it goes down just as smooth. Do let me know what you think, and and maybe I'll, uh, I'll do some more histories of, uh, of famous composers from from years ago in the future because it is it is a lot of fun to get across this I, I have to say anyway all the normal boring housekeeping stuff coming your way here uh halfhousehistory.net of course anchor.fm slash halfhousehistory for the feed between those two websites you'll be able to find all the episodes um uh, as ever, a reminder that, you know, every now and again, I, I I do like to ask people if you're having any issues accessing the show, please let me know. There's a contact form on the website. If you've got any problems or any issues accessing the feed or certain episodes or if there are errors, let me know so I can try to iron them out. We do have continual perpetual errors with Google Podcasts. I just cannot seem to fix that. So I apologize about that. But any feedback whatsoever is always welcome. So thank you to the people who are writing in with topic suggestions or, uh, you know, things for me to think about. Uh, it, it's great to hear from people. And if you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do it uh, from a financial standpoint. If you'd like to uh, buy some half-ass history swag, you do have a merch shop. You can find the link on the website. Or if you want to be 
a patron of my work, much in the same way that uh, all those nobles were patrons of... Uh, you, you too could take on the mantle of a Viennese noble in the late 18th century and patronise the work of it. Well, I mean, I'm not, you know, a gifted genius like Beethoven was or anything else like that. But hey, I don't know. My podcasts are kind of funny sometimes. So if you want to support that, patreon.com slash half history and you get access to early, early access to episodes. I'm not going to do private shows for you. I mean, you know... I don't know, maybe I put a tier in that gives you a private uh, private podcast work for Beethoven. I mean, not that he did podcasts, but you get the point. You can support me on Patreon if you want to. You don't have to. The show's going to be free regardless. But, you know, if you want to do that, gain access to the show notes, the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's there. You can do it. Anyway, that's that. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Half-House History. See you back here next week for more nonsense. Till then, leaving you with a question posed on Reddit, of course, this one comes to, it, to us from Imastro, who asks... If Beethoven died before the earliest invention of audio recording, how do we have recordings of all of his music?